maybe. I know some of you I, I pulled into the room. Some of you have no idea what's about to happen. Um, I'm Sarah Colby, and I'm here to um, help lead our Creative Connections. And speaking of connections, here's my amazing co-host, or moderator. <laughs> hey, hello. Afternoon? Afternoon. Good afternoon. I don't know what time it is. My name is Carla Shannon. I'm a professor at the University of Florida. Um, and let me just tell you, I've known Sarah for almost 14 years, and she's the most creative person you will ever come in contact oh, with. So, oh, it's so true. So be prepared, like she said, to, you know, we're going to stretch you a little bit out of your comfort zone, but it's going to be a good time. Yes, and she, I sent my quote, air quotes, involved lesson plan to her last night. She looked at it this morning, and I can't believe she's still here. So we'll see. The first thing we're going to do is um, talk about amongst ourselves, and we need to, you can either talk loud, I think in this room you'll be able to hear each other probably pretty well. But first, let's just think about it. What do you think helps a person be a good communicator? What matters? What helps? Simple language. Clear, simple language. Know your audience. That's, and that's a hard one. Yes. What do you think? Being a good listener. Yeah. Very definitely. What else? Staying engaged which can sometimes be hard depending on if it's after lunch and you have a full stomach and it's a little, you're resting. <laughs> what else? Yeah. Yes. I, I think that's it. I think personally, I think caring, I think people can tell when you care. They, they know when it's genuine. And there's, there's, a, there's something wonderful that happens there. Um, what else do you, yeah. Definitely, they say that, what is it, as I drink water, 80% of our communication is, is you know, nonverbal, 70 to 80, depends on who you ask. What else? What else? Come on in, yay! Oh, I'm so glad our Florida group is here. Florida is representing. We got UF in the house. <laughs> oh, this is great. All righty. So we're talking about what are the things that make us a good communicator. And we've had a lot of wonderful things. Um, so why does communication matter? Interesting question. If I ask my husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. Your outcomes, especially if we're talking about professionally, you know, that, that whatever outcome or result happens from that nutrition education um, is, is going to depend on our communication styles. So um, how do we think about, and, and I am, I'm, I'm pulling us here a little bit because it talks about connections and communication, and communication is a part of nutrition education. So... How is communication a part of nutrition education? What do we think? Is it too obvious? It's too obvious, right? I mean, if we're not communicating, how are we having effective nutrition education? Yeah. Come on in, please. Oh, Jen. <laughs> we lost her. Man, is it great when I can see people's half of their face and I'm like, no, don't leave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really does build and it connects all of those all of those dots. So okay, 
how about in this group, just so again, knowing your audience, this is my, my little bit of effort, right, to, to try to get to know those of you who I don't know. Um, talk to me about what kinds of creative communication activities have you had the opportunity to participate in in the past? Anybody been wrangled into a theater game? <laughs> role playing, yes. A lot of us have role playing as part of our, our education now, which is fantastic. Right. I, even, I even call case studies. Uh, you know, or I think that's a, commu a creative communication. We did songs. Oh, and don't even let her underrepresent her com her creativity and her metabolism. If y'all, if y'all, she used to teach metabolism at UF, and she was the most effective teacher I've ever dreamed of seeing because she had people like 15 years later post on Facebook about how they were thinking about her metabolism course today in the grocery store. And I mean, they, they were in love with her class, and she, she used to do videos, right? She had great videos where they, they, they were so excited to be in, in, you know, metabolism. How often do you get to hear that, right? Yeah. Icebreakers. Speaking of which, I'm going to use that one right there. Um, I think that one of the things that help us when we are in nutrition education is to get up, to get warm, to have fun. Um, that's all a part of it. So let's go to the farmer's market and see how this goes. <laughs> Do you have, okay, you've got one. Um, what I need is I need a I need two volunteers who are willing to run a little bit. Not fast, because I know I have some runners in the room. I see you. Um, but just like a gentle run. Oh, great. Okay, great. Stand up. Come on up here. Excellent. Even though you're going to go over there in just a minute. So... Would one of you like to be a vegetable today? Oh, either. Okay. Who would like to be a farmer? You're a farmer? Okay, we've got a vegetable. Okay. So we have have you guys seen whose line is it anyway? Okay, so a lot of this is just whose line is it anyway? You're now at a show, you're part of a show, let's do this. So from the audience, we need some veg we need vegetables. What kind of vegetables do you think? What should we have her be today for us? Ooh, I heard asparagus first. You are now asparagus. All right. Now, I'm going to put Carla, actually, I'm going to have you <laughs> do the hardest part. With, with our asparagus, will you see? And I'm going to have Lucy come up here, too, to help me. Well, this is going to be your fancy belt. So we are going to have Lucy, if you go on that side. There you go. And then you just get to tie it here in the front. Look at you get beads and belts and all mm -hmm. sorts of exciting things in this world. And we'll make it so you don't trip. <laughs> All righty. Now, the, um, that in the back is just going to tuck into the back of her belt. You can hold on to your belt. All right. So our asparagus, and our vegetable, here, I can do it. I got it. Never mind. I think. We don't know for sure if it's going to work. All right. Just don't fall. That's my only request. That's, my, that's long. But she's going to pull. Um, we'll see. This is all an experiment. It does. It, you look like Mardi Gras. We're, this is fantastic. Good luck. All right. So... Our asparagus has gotten loose today, and our farmer has to catch our asparagus. I now need 15, count them, 15 volunteers to be part of our farmer's market up here. So you're going to turn your chairs because our activity is actually going to happen over here today. So there are spots here on the, on the if you can find first 15 to find our spots, we got a row of green, row of orange, row of pink. Excellent. You guys are fantastic volunteers. 
All right, now at, oh, we need a few more. Need a few more down here. Let's fill in, fill in, fill in. There you go. Got three more to go over here. Couple in the back. Good job. All right, we have a beautiful farmer's market. I am so excited. We are missing two, two. We need two more people. One, two. All right, so at our farmer's market, we have stalls and we have lanes. All right, now, who really loves our asparagus? It's still in the audience here. Oh, we have, okay, we have our advocate for asparagus. Come on up here. You are our asparagus friend here. You are pulling for asparagus to win. I think, okay, you'll get to see. So, <laughs> okay, everybody in our farmer's market, if you put your arms out to the side, we're missing somebody, aren't we? We're missing a pink. Oh, thank you, thank you. Okay, so you are all now stalls. So go ahead and say stalls so they know where they are. Stalls. Okay, now we should have one more mic. I'm missing a mic. Ah, thank you. Uh, okay, now we need a farmer advocate. Who loves farmers? Yay, who wants to advocate for a farmer? All righty. So, say lanes. Lanes. When he says lanes, you guys are going to turn to face that way. Turn to face that way and put your arms out. All right. So, as I'm going, and now I'm now in my lanes, right? Oh, I had a dead end. That would be really sad. I might have to have y'all. This might be a short game if I don't slide y'all over. All right. This counts. Uh, so, no, we're good. See, see, I'm moving down my, and actually, yeah, if y'all take one step that way. Oh, don't turn. That'd be mean. I'd be stuck. Go ahead and take a step. Oh, that way I can slide by. Look, okay, where's my asparagus? Since we're, we're, we're having a fun day, we're out. We got loose. I'm going to be a carrot, I think. I don't know why. So let's just, look, we're wandering through our, are we in stalls? Lanes. We're in lanes. All right. So we're in lanes. So we can get through. That's right. You can let us through when we get to them. All right. Now, what happens when you say, uh-oh, everybody's going to turn the other way. Now, wherever you're stuck, now we're going to go down this way. Oh, dear. Now, depending on... And we're going to take turns calling. You get to turn it. So now, asparagus, just go ahead and meander along. You're having a fun day out. You guys get to have them turn to help our farmer catch them. Where's my farmer? Farmer, come find your asparagus. Okay, farmer, come with us. <laughs> Asparagus, farmer's coming up close. So now you're going to try, now you can never cut through an arm here, but you're going to get to try to catch and get her beads. There's her little tail. And now you can't go through. you gotta, you got to catch her. There you go. Oh, oh. And now you can advocate when you want. Lanes. Oh, we got to turn. Oh, now you got to find. Oh, be careful. Try to catch your asparagus. She's behind you. Where she's, she's behind you. Don't get caught. Our farmer is, is stealthy here. <laughs> Our farmer is going to get us asparagus. Our asparagus. You got to catch the asparagus. You're, you're trying to catch your asparagus. 
she's over, she's getting away from me again. This is a stealthy asparagus. Okay, asparagus, you can you can call it out and switch it up. Get get her get caught. Oh, it's a turn. Okay, you gotta catch her. You gotta catch her. Oh, he turned it. Oh, is it so close though? Stars, it got cold. I heard stars. if you're looking for more ideas. But besides getting up on our feet and moving around and having fun, you know, why does it matter? Well, okay, let's just get a few little factoids. I was actually going to do all games, and my partner here said, you should put some information in there, please. So I was like, oh, I'll just put it later. They can see it later. Let's just play. But let's, let's talk for a second. Okay, so what is learning? Let's get a very, and I, I will put, the, I'll make these available through SNEB, and I'll actually put the references up there, because they're not all with my references cited, citations up there. Shh, don't tell anybody. They'll be up there t later tonight. Um, okay, so what we know that, it's, it's really actually very cool if you think about what is learning. Learning is actually a physiological process, right? It's going on right now in your brain, whether or not it stays there or not, it's another cool physiological process. So what you have going on here is you've got changes in the structure of your neurons. It's in the temporal and um, parietal lobes of the cerebral cortex. Right now, in your brain, information is going in, and those, that can lead to changes in how the neurons function. And that's going to result in their ability to store, potentially, or not information, right? So when we are talking about learning, um, we know repetition helps us learn material, right? We know that excitement at the time of learning, and that's interesting. How excited were you in high school, sorry, or college? I hope you were excited in college. Um, in every class you went to all day long, was there a lot of excitement in those classes? Probably not. If there had been excitement, you probably would have remembered whatever happened there. So for instance, I'm going to keep using um, Dr. Shelnut here as an example. So Dr. Shelnut actually dances in some of her videos. I'm sure that the kids enjoyed and that was exciting to watch their professor dance with them in their videos. They probably remembered that material more. Sorry, you're a great example. What can I say? 
So um, it actually it actually increases the number and the strength of those neuronal connections, and that's going to help us retain that information over time. So again, using that neurobiology of learning, because I think it's cool, sorry, I love the science and the nutrition education, it's fun. Um, some of the things that we know that we need to do is the learner has to, and this is more of a, for an adult learner, obviously, if we're talking about pedagogy versus and andragogy. Um, this, the learner, for an adult learner especially, has to feel like they're in control of their, has to be in control of their own learning, but especially has to feel it. Because just being it doesn't matter if you're not feeling empowered to actually feel like you're in control of your own learning. So in other words, yes, you can leave. For those of you who I dragged in here, I apologize. I took away some of your, <laughs> your self-control of your learning experience. Um, the other thing we're very aware of, that, that oh, don't leave. OK, just kidding. <laughs> um, so as we know, that scaffolding of knowledge is very important. So that gets into knowing who your audience is. Um, if you also want to know what's their current you know, their current knowledge base. So I probably should have asked if there were other creative, artsy experiences in learning to see if I was building on that. It didn't seem like there was a lot or people that wanted to volunteer to say, I'm looking at faces. So again, building on those previous experiences um, and in terms of how can we use theater games or arts um, in teaching nutrition education. Another thing is you have to see how it applies to your own life. So as I was just saying, I'm hoping that from this experience, you might see how you could actually apply some of these games, strategies, in your own life. How many of you right now, I know everybody's probably a very different, we have different jobs, different experiences, different moments in time. Is there anybody who wants to share right now if how they're thinking about maybe incorporating any of this? Or is it mostly just curiosity? Anything? Curious? Game? Thing in your life? Dr. Green, are you going to incorporate this in your life? <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. Maybe in a classroom? I don't know. A theater game? Now, I'll see Dr. Green. I remember, I, there's very little I remember in life. I remember his opening session was in New Orleans because he had his dancing. And we did, we got beads and we danced around. The th and so that, that moment, that learning, it helped me remember. I'm not sure what that's going to do exactly for me in the long, long term besides provide, like, uh, you know, warm, fuzzy, emotional connections. But I remember where Dr. Green was president of SNEB and where we were. There we go. See? So learning by doing. Um, so uh, those positive feelings, as I keep tying it forward, about our learning process will improve the learning outcomes. So if you have positive feelings, hopefully we'll get up and do fun stuff in just a minute. Okay, this is all her fault. Um, so, um, but we must be doing something physically, interestingly, for learning to occur. I think that's one of the reasons why we talk, and I question that. That's, I, I have a reference for it, I'll put it out there. I question that too, because um, it made me wonder. I can sit still and learn. I don't quite understand that. So I want to learn more about that, but that's what, but I do understand why they used to tell us we need to write our notes, be physically writing our notes, because it will help us remember things. That's probably associated with that, that process. There's probably something that we're doing, but I'd love to look into that more. But are my extension friends out there? We know in 4-H, we learn by do doing, right? Yes? Okay, great. So let's go to a party. <laughs> All right. Now, I have to remember what I said I was going to make y'all do. 
Okay, we are going to go to a party, and I need to get <coughs> some people to volunteer again. I need a host. I need a host. Who would like to host this party? Excellent. We have, okay, and we get a co-host. Um, can I have a co-host? Because you want to have a friend to talk about who's coming over to your house, and yes, she's, she's going to get a microphone. Excellent. I love Voluntold. I am at the University of Tennessee, so we're the volunteers, and I was so sad that a UF friend had to teach me how to voluntell somebody something. Okay, so we have um, our host. If you guys will step out that door right over there, we will call you back in in just a moment. I now need five volunteers to come to our party. It's not going to be scary. I have one, yes. Two, three, and you guys can go step right over here, and, I'll, and that way I can get y'all. So I need two more people, please. Right. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Okay, we got our five people. Now, because we're all going to be involved, excellent, is we are going to, um, you're going to get to write down a different food. Each table gets to decide a food. You can actually do two just in case of duplicates. And y'all can, you're going to get to assign them what their foods are, sort of. So go ahead and, and you as a table, as your tables, go ahead and write down food on your paper in front of you. Uh, something pretty colorful. Yes. It, any food you want. Any food. Any food. Any food. So go ahead and write down um, a food, and go ahead and do it twice, just in case we have a lot of duplicates. Who knows? We're all thinking the same thing. Yes. It could be any kind of food you want them to be. Have fun. You guys are on the hot seat. Two, you'll do two pieces of paper. One food per, per paper. One food per paper. Go ahead and do two. You can do more if you want, but two if possible. Yeah. All righty. And then Carla, will you start collecting the papers once, you, once our tables are done? Pick any, uh, one food per paper. So let's see, you got one. And do you have another one? Yeah, go ahead and do another paper. Do another food. Any food you want. You have your two? All right. Ooh. Okay. All righty. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any more to collect? Okay. So I'm going to explain our game. I think we got it. I'm going to explain our game to our food, our friends, food friends up here. In a minute, I'm going to have you step outside, and then you're going to come in and pick a food, show the audience your food. I will take it back. You will step outside. You will now know your food, but your friends will not, and your co-host will not. One at a time, you're going to do a knock, knock, knock on the door, and then you're going to get to come into the party, and you're going to get to talk to your co-hosts. And you're going to tell them all sorts of interesting things without being too obvious about yourself. So spend a 
little bit of time talking with them, and then you can talk to your other friends who will come to the party. And then we're going to let get our co-host to meet all of you up here. So your goal is ultimately for them to guess what you are, but don't give it away, okay? So after they've met all of our friends, they're going to try to guess who is at their party. All right? Ask me questions. Does this make sense? All right, cool. So let's step outside because I don't want y'all to know what you have to eat. All right, right over here. And actually, you get to stay inside. You're our first. So, Vanna, Carla's supposed to be my Vanna. She said she was my Vanna. Would you like to Vanna? Okay, you can't look to see what they are. You gotta just, okay, just draw. Yeah, just, you got it? Okay, show the audience, because they get to see the fun. All right, show the audience. Can everybody see? Oh, and then Carla, will you take that from her when she's done? All right. Everybody got it? So she's got to step back outside. Don't tell your friends. Next friend, please come in for a moment and find out what you are. All right. Draw whatever you like out of our pile. You can't see them. Okay, No, no. You look at it and show the audience. Ooh. Okay, make sure everybody sees it, and then give that to Carla. Yay. All right, and she'll take that back. We'll take our next friend. All right, next friend. Hello. Hi. Okay, what would you get to? All right, and then show that to the audience. Make sure everybody over there sees it. Oh, don't, don't, don't say that loud. They might hear. They need to sit over there. They're still looking. Oh, we show, show Carla. Will show. Okay. And our next friend, will you see the next friend in? All right. And this is number three, I think. Is that right? All right. Oh, we're at four? Okay. And now will you show the audience? All right, make sure they see down there. Oh, that's very broad. Ooh. All right, and then go ahead there. And you, you can show it to the, and send the next person in, please. That'll be our last. Unbelievable. All right. I must say, I had mentioned my house up when I looked One more, I think. Yep, come on in. Yes. All right, let's see what you are. Okay, that's very broad. Make sure our friends see it. All right. All right. Show Vanna White it for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Now the one, the other thing I will say. Actually, I will say it after I bring our our co-hosts in, and we'll explain to our hosts what's going on. Let's have a party. All right, hosts, come on in. You are having a party. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're at your house. Thank you so much for having us. You have a whole bunch of people coming in, and you have no idea who they are. That's not that strange, actually. All right, so here's the thing. that w As they come in one at a time, they're going to talk with you, and you can ask them questions about themselves to try to figure out what or who they are. And then they'll probably visit with their other friends that come in. 
once you've met all five of your guests, we will be asking you to identify who's at your party. As you do so, here's where the audience participation comes in. If they're getting close, let's give them a little bit of a snap because they're, they're getting it. If they're actually getting pretty close, we can give them a little clap. They're almost there. Once they get it, we give them a nice big clap so they finally found it, okay? All right, let's do a knock, knock, knock. Oh my goodness, your first one guest is here. Come on in, meet your host. What's so nice to see you? Hi, welcome. Is there a limit on the amount of questions we get to ask? Oh, you're at the party. There's no, there, there are no rules. Welcome. I want to know how far you came. Oh, how far she came. Came a good way. Okay. Actually, I'm going to give up this microphone so you can have a Okay, I came a good ways. <laughs> you came a good way? Yes. Did you come uh, by plane? I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Ah, did it? So I'm a combo thing. You're a combo thing? I'm a combo thing. <laughs> like you're more than one person? No, I'm one. <laughs> I, I could be in two parts. <laughs> a two-part two part combo thing that came in by plane. Oh. Are you in a package? I can be. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I can be in two packages. Are you yummy? Yes. Oh, so she's food, right? Yes. Come on, clap. <laughs> Are you salty or sweet? I can be both, but I'm usually, usually there's a salty component. Um, would I have you with soup? You could, but you wouldn't need to. I wouldn't need to. No. <laughs> oh, hello, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Did you come with her? I did not. I'm here alone. You're all by yourself? Yes. And did you come driving? I came rolling. Rolling? Yeah. <laughs> Rolling. Um, are you round? Somewhat, yeah, you can Somewhat say round. Round? roundish. Roundish. She's mm -hmm. roundish. Are you a certain color? A certain color. Yes. I come in a few colors. Two colors. Are depending you on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> are you a fruit? Technically, yes. Technically, yeah. a, oh, right. technically a fruit. Like a tomato kind of a fruit? I'm not a tomato. I'll give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So kind of a fruit. Kind of a fruit, but not really. Kind of a combo. <laughs> I think we're going to end up with a salad. Yeah, I think we're going to get zero. Uh. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Hi. How did you get here? You know, um, I came from California. Oh. oh. You're a coaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 think we ran into some other food group or something here. Are you a food? Yes. Oh, you are, and you grow in California. Mm-hmm. Are you an orange? No. No. Oh. Are you garlic? No. Oh darn! They do a lot of garlic in California. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
Um, um, I promote great brain activity. Oh, brain food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that pistachio? I'm stimulating. That's a good question. Ah. Oh, here comes another guest. How are you? Where did you come from? Um, I come from trees. Yeah. Before. Um, I can grow on a vine. What else? I supply your body with different nutrients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I come in a variety of colors, flavors. Yum. Seeds. No seeds. So. <laughs> peel. Or no peel. <laughs> I'm not doing too well with this. Where did you come from? The garden. You came from the garden? Are you green? I could be. You can be? <laughs> Who's this? I can uh, be a lot of colors all at once. You can be a lot of colors all at once in the garden. In the garden. <laughs> I'm not Skittles. Skittles are not in the garden. a sense that you might all go well together. Is that true? I have no idea. You don't know. You can talk to each other. Do you, do you think they would all go well together? I think you would just by looking at you. Ooh, I'm great. I'm great finger food. Oh, you could be four. I'm great finger food. Your finger food. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, two yeah. finger foods. Great finger food. Can I eat my skin? I'll tell you that. So don't eat my skin. You have poisonous skin? <laughs> so, so are you cassava? No. Oh, because that's poisonous oh, wow. skin. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. So you come before things. You eat lettuce? Not lettuce. Nobody's lettuce? Okay. You could be what? A healthy I'm snack. I'm definitely a healthy snack. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to give you some help, because I think I heard you requesting a little bit of help. So we had some extra guests at our party, and you didn't even know they were here. It's pretty crazy, right? So um, would, would our table right here like to help introduce, give some pretty good hints, of our friend here so that you can introduce she her? She can go either way. I want to warn you. I've seen her at all the parties that I go to. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> she really gets around. Okay, you're showing so everybody knows? Okay, so we have. I don't think that was helpful. Maybe I'm not going to say it loud. Combo. Oh, she's crunchy. Oh, dear. Crunchy.
showing tables. Let's make sure we get the, the um, I'll, I'll come over here. Oh yeah, I forgot, my sister's open, I'm not open. You find her on the side of your plate in a Mexican restaurant. <gasps> Salsa! <laughs> Wasn't her skin bumpy and you can't eat it? She rolled in. Oh, I can't she eat rolled it. in, oh my. Avocado. Remember? Oh my goodness! Vine well, you're, you're, tree, right? You're gonna have to. Oh, you got the right color. Okay. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hard one. Oh my God! Okay. You're healthy. You could be a. You go well with a lot of things. Um, she can make you gassy and a little bloated. <laughs> like a tree. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. 
Oh, I'm good. Okay, cool. That was fun, 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 fun. Excellent. All right. So what do you guys think? How, how, what, was it fun? Yes. Okay, cool. And I didn't feel like we even lost energy even though we had to work a little harder to dig deep to find out all of our, we had some challenges there. That broccoli salad, wow, that's, that's a good one. Um, do you think that this, act, what, what do you think we could be using this activity with in nutrition education? What, are we, what could we learn from this? I mean, it's fun, it's theater. What are we learning? So you could use this and ask people to put healthy food as their suggestions, definitely. That would help you discuss what suggestions go in there. What else do you think? So, perfect. Yeah, you could, you could be assessing their knowledge, right, by the clues they give. Yeah, very, that's a great, yes. Oh, that's cool. Right. So, definitely, and that it can tell you. It can tell you. Uh, um, give you insight into the cultural perspectives and history and experience and, and lived experiences of your participants, and that that gives you a lot of information that ha that you may not otherwise be getting, especially in a group activity. Other yes. Definitely. So, yeah, especially if it sounds, because, I mean, I, I heard all these ideas about things to do with the broccoli salad I never knew about. So, I mean, now I want to go try, <laughs> you know, try some new, new things on broccoli salad. That sounds really good. So, yes, you can learn and get, and get excited about. Um, if you pre-stacked the foods that they were choosing from, you could then follow up by a taste testing afterwards. Or you could do a taste testing before, and then that way they have the experiences they can share about those foods if they're foods that they may not have known about before. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. I've never seen that. So yeah, if you pre if you had all the different ingredients and then you had to figure out what it's going to how it's going to come together, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is because they, um, my, my, my children taught me about introvert and what an introvert was versus an extrovert. Because um, uh, I'm not an introvert. Um, I learned that. But <laughs> that was shocking. Um, and so it is important that we, that we find ways to engage everybody where they're comfortable. And that it's not that, that everybody should become an extro extrovert. That's, that's not, we're, we're, it's, it's beautiful world that we're all different. So if we can give an opportunity for everybody to engage in a way they're comfortable, that's, that's a real asset. So that's, that's something we should always look for in our games. We don't want to put people on the spot. That's, yeah. Um, even though the spot's fun. Just kidding. Okay, so um, <laughs> what the other thoughts. Something that's not come up so far that I, I always really find interesting, and I was curious how it was going to roll today, is that you find out what people think about foods how they feel about foods, and you get some of that social context, you know, especially with kids and with teens, if you know, that there's a, a lot of the descriptors they'll use are really insightful, and you find out kind of what they're thinking, and, and then afterwards you can talk about it, you can kind of unpack, 
you know, why they said pizza is late night. <laughs> why they said, okay, I don't want to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you could even if you if you set that up, you could even take it a step further and um, actually give information sheets on each of the foods, so they have a lot of information they can pull from, and so then they have that like you know five ten minutes to like study the sheets. And then they get to try to figure out, you know, that way they're, they're learning. And, and it's, it's almost like a test back without, you know, worrying about a grade. Because then you're pulling on that information. Yeah? This is fantastic. Okay. Um, so talking about my drink is the first thing. Hydration. Obviously, I was not. Ah, I see it. This is the other thing that's fun in life is that now that there are all these beautiful new Raise the water glasses. Who all has water glasses in here? Or water jugs? Yes. I love our water jugs. Isn't that pretty? All right. Um, talking about how we would use this, how theater can play a role in learning. So when we talk about the domains of learning, you've, you've heard about this before, right? We've got the cognitive, what we're thinking, it's going on in our brain. We've got the psychomotor, which we were playing with, being physically up right here. We're being physical. And then we've got that affective, that emotional piece, which is kind of what I was getting at when we talk about food. Why foods, um, you know, there weren't that many emotional descriptors with our foods, which I thought was really interesting in here. And usually they're a lot. So I hope you do get a chance to try this with different groups and see if you get different responses. I heard that um, I see you at every party I go to. <laughs> so, so that, 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 talk, that gives us like a, a you know, little bit about a social norm. You know, it's a feeling that you're, that you're kind of attached to or not. Um, whether or not the you give me gas falls under, I don't know where that falls. Um, but we know, we know that if we have a learning activity that's going to have, uh, that's going to involve all those multiple domains, again, we're more likely to have effective and long-lasting um, outcomes there. So here's some, these don't all apply to what we, we're doing because we're not really doing repetition here. <laughs> we know if we do repetition, it can get boring, but it helps ingrain information, right? Um, so the rewarding and reinforcing, I think, has to do with the fact that positive that we were talking about, that if you have a positive association with that learning experience, it helps stay in there. Recognize that rewarding, well, even when I was thinking about today, I was like, although I automatically thought no, was, you know, oh, we should have, like, you know, you throw out the candy when you get it right, all right? And it was funny that I enjoyed my brain even going there for a second just because that's funny that we still think that, you know? So those rewards don't have to be, you know, and, okay, I'm preaching the choir here. You guys know this. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the candy that's still often, unfortunately, given out. Do any of you all have policies against that in your schools, or is it still some yeses, some yeses? It's some places have policies against that, but... A lot of places don't. Um, recognize that just positive feedback counts as that same reward. So it can just be, you know, giving those, those words of affirmation. Um, visualization I thought was interesting too here because it can be, I think we have, I would say that you probably have a visual image, at least I do, of what we watched up there. <laughs> and I'm like, does that count? It might. Uh, in some of the examples in terms of putting things into memory, if you close your eyes right now, everybody close your eyes, and think about what you saw during that activity, theoretically, 
that image is going to stay with you longer. You can open your eyes again. So theoretically, just having those, those visual cues will help ingrain it as well. Um, active engagement we have, check. That's no problem with us with in, in, in um, theater. So that we know there's, there's rationale of why it actually helps strengthen, again, those neural, neural, neural networks. Um, and then we have uh, stress. Interesting. You know, you've got that curvilinear response to stress. Too much stress, you're not going to have fun. I'm losing you guys. See, this is boring. No, I'm just kidding. It's not boring. It's not boring. <laughs> uh, too much stress, you, you, it's not going to help keep the, the learning and the memories, you know, engaged in there. But too little stress. Oh, man, he looked up. Darn, I was going to, like, do a boo moment. Um, I was going to surprise you. It was going to be fun. Um, so... <laughs> Theoretically, um, a little bit of stress helps make it, you know, a better learning experience. So I would say getting up in front of all these people counts as a little bit of stress. Even when I come up to your table and I'm throwing a mic in your face, you know, mic in your face, that's, that, that's a stressor, you know, but it's, it's hopefully on that low end of like, this is good, this is fun. <laughs> it's not too much, but it helps increase. Um, so again, think about, okay, can anybody guess I didn't love learning in high school? Because <laughs> I'm about to say high school again. Some of you guys had a fantastic high school experience. I'm glad. That's great. If anybody else in here was ever bored in high school like I was, um, think about was there, there was probably not much stress in the class. You know, you're just kind of sleeping. So add a little stress to your life. No, just a little bit, not too much. But the, uh, the other one here, fatigue. How many of you are exhausted? Okay, what the two guesses? We're three. We're less likely to be able to learn effectively if we're exhausted. I know that's shocker, but making sure that that you're you're thinking about that, making sure that that you are planning your your activities when people are going to be less likely to be fatigued would be good. Uh, multitasking. I want to argue with this one back and forth. I've seen research lately, and they keep saying it's bad. You know, we can't multitask. And fine. They say we can't multitask. Anybody in here who's doing something else, I'm looking at you, Elder. <laughs> That's so fun. Sorry. <laughs> anybody, sorry, it's fun knowing your audience. Um, anybody who's multitasking, which I would be too if I were in the audience right now, don't, don't, I mean, I'd be, I'd be right there with you. Um, but we're not, we don't learn as well, apparently, supposedly, whatever. Um, let's try to get better. Uh, so active, in, if, if it's active involvement, um, which is slightly different than active engagement, but it's still theater, we've got it. Um, it's just going to help reinforce that knowledge. It's going to increase that retention. It's going to uh, generate memories, which hopefully you'll have from today. But how many conference sessions do you remember? I mean, unfortunately, we don't. And hopefully, maybe you remember this one. You never know. Okay, and then the multisensory. I thought about trying to get some stuff that smells good. I was thinking if we were doing this, and this gets to the idea of having the food to taste and stuff, either before or after. But even you know, the, the smelling and the tasting, the touching of the, the fruits and the vegetables, that would all help. You know, so anytime we can, in, in, anytime you can add a sensory in there, that's go. Okay, let's challenge this. We're going to do this again, you guys. You ready? Let's do another one. We got time. We are going to go grocery shopping. Okay. So, let's see. Glasses on. Can you hear my glasses go on? I can see. Um, all right. <laughs> so, we are going to have a shopper. I need somebody who's willing to go grocery shopping. Who would like to go grocery shopping today? No running involved. Okay, we got a grocery shopper. Come on up. We're going we're to go grocery shopping. So, 
what we're going to do at your table um, is, I'm going to mix this up a little bit. On your table, I need, how many tables do I have in here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, so we're going to start with that. At your table, I need you to find one person who's willing to be a food item in a grocery store. And after you find your volunteer, who hopefully will be willing to be a food item, you're going to decide what that food item is going to be. On your paper, on your pretty paper, um, colorful paper, you are going to write down the name of your food and the price of your food. All right? So, my shopping, you just get to read it. We'll just hang out up here while they're, they're doing this. They're, they're going to set up our grocery store. Well, you'll, you'll get to it. you get to choose. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Have fun. No. Does that have to be the correct price? It can be any food you want. Any food you want, any price you want. So let's see, I'm going to pick one of my big tables. I've got nine, is that right? Can, is, can I get two shopper, two food items from this table? Is, are two people willing to volunteer? Two? Yeah? Okay, so we all make two, you get to do two different foods. So you all have two, okay, great. Okay, so now I'm up to 10. Can I get two volunteers from this table too? So you'll have two pieces, yes. I know, it's because you all have a lot at the table. No, they get hit, sorry. No, definitely not. It can be anything you want. Can I, can I get two volunteers from this table? You want me to volunteer again? Okay, great, yes. So, and so, so it's gonna be, you get another piece, you get to do two foods. So this one plus another one, and okay, both the so sizes. All righty. And can I get two from this table too? Two volunteers, so you get to do another food and another price. All right. How many am I up to? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Actually, can I get two from this table as well, too? So you need another food and another price and another volunteer. So now I'm at two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Oh, I gotta do it here too. Can I get two from this table as well? Two food. So, so another another person willing to be a food, and then you get to pick another food with a price. Okay. So, y'all are so great. I think I need one more. Can y'all, can, well, that's fun. That's a good discussion. So, one more person who's willing to volunteer and one more food with a price. So, now you get to, okay. Okay. 
See, what's fun, Carla, is I've never played this. I have no idea how this is going to go. <laughs> I'm crazy. No. And it went well. It was fun. All right. Now, you're going to, I'm going to let you know, you're going to have two jobs. You're going to be a timekeeper. I'll tell them, too. But you'll be a timekeeper, and you're going to keep track of our price, our total price. Now, the question. Okay. You sure can, but she's going to claim for mine, too. All right. Nope, no jump rope. And you don't even need, I don't think you need this. All right. Okay, so, so I can see how we're doing. Can I get, if you've got a food and your sign, will you come up and join me, please? Every food and sign can, can have a spot. And you can hold up your price and your food. We get to see what you are. Yes, stand on a dot. Pick a dot, any dot. All right, let's see if I did my math by the time I was done. All right. Now, audience. I'm switching this over to audience participation. This could be dangerous. We are going to give our shopper X number of pretend dollars. Sorry. Um, oh, are, we, are we missing anybody? No, my math is well. Oh, okay, we'll keep going. Um, I never said math was my. Oh, wait, we got come more. Do we have any more coming? All right, I did my best. <laughs> All right, so you guys get to decide. Let's, let's negotiate this. How much money are we going to give our shopper today? Now, we want her to have as healthy a car as possible, but. She's at the end of the month, y'all. This is, this is a, she's shopping for four people. But, but this is just a quick run. This is not a full grocery. This is just, but we want her, her cart to be as healthy as possible, right? You know, that's her goal, maybe. But she, you know, she wants everybody to be happy and healthy. Well, oh, 42 is a good number. I like that. What was your question? No, this is just a quick run. Forty-two dollars is. is I'm, I'm liking forty-two. I haven't seen all the prices, so I'm a little nervous. Might need more than forty-two. I was thinking fifty-five. Okay, so I'm be, I'm hearing fifty. Are we good with fifty? Oh no, you're just nice. She tried to give her hundred. Okay, you have been given fifty dollars, but. What's the other thing we tend to have with us when we go to the store often? Children. Children. I need two kids. I got one. I need another. I need another. There's your mom right there. Come on. Oh, oh, oh. Come on. Come on. All right, Mom. Here's, here's your grocery. Here's your... There you go. This is your cart. You don't have no. Okay, no, you've lost your kids already. Do you know where your kids are? All right. Now here's here's the other. There you go. Wow, she got into the cart already. Here's the other fun. What else do we not have when we go to the grocery store? What? 
Time! Time! So we're only going to give her five minutes. All right? Now, you guys only win the invisible win. Sorry, no, exciting. But you win if you get her to choose you. You win if you get out in five minutes with a healthy-ish cart, nourishing, and nourishing in all ways, cart, and you, Carla, is going to tell you when you get to, and when, when she says it, you guys turn your, t no, but, 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 oh, last important piece, when you turn, when you turn your sign around, when she comes by, because this is, this is a new age of media, we have, we have inst instant media, you can market yourself, don't forget to sell yourself, Talk about what's good about you, okay? So sell, sell, your, sell your food. If she selects you, you can, she pulls you out, she tells you, you come and you get to hold on to the side of the cart as she goes, okay? All right, everybody understand? All right, the kids are already distracting. Five minutes and you get to call it. You're in charge. Go. All right. forget you're going to count time on her, right? Oh, she's good. How's she on time? How are we on time? Ooh, we're at three minutes and 30 seconds. goes in the cart. <laughs> Ooh, coffee's expensive. <laughs> oh, the kids get to spend three seventy five. So the kids have 375, but nothing to buy with it. <laughs> How are we doing on time? 
expensive than your salmon, so that's oh. why we went with that one. That does happen. And this milk, my goodness, I don't know what's happening back there. $34. Oh. Costco pass. So we already did the bacon. That's, okay, so that's the it. Bacon's yeah. good. Okay, talk to us about why you didn't pick what you didn't pick. Well, so the, that salmon was more expensive. Those eggs were more expensive. Okay, the eggs were more expensive. I didn't understand the volume of milk we were getting for thirty four dollars the volume. And the someone else had eggs at the same price, and I just they just got my attention first. Oh, and okay. I mean, that just toffee with pecans didn't seem like the most nourishing choice of snacks. Nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would have been delicious. Yeah. All right, perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Excellent. All right. So, we did a great shopping trip. Uh, my kids, the kids, I think, deserve a... Are you on? Yes. The kids deserve a prize. It's virtual though. All right. So, um, what y'all think of that activity? No chaos. How was it? Was it fun to watch? Was it fun to, to be in the middle of? Okay, so the kids were a factor. Um, the kids did a great job. Seriously, what else? What else did you think? Okay, so the people that didn't sell anything covered. It was sad. It was sad. It was. You know, crazy enough, I could actually see for, for um, if we had any friends in the food industry in, in the room, what a creative way to find out what people think of your product. 
right? You can do some interesting, fun chaos out there. See you all after you get picked. What else? That's Yeah, just comparing prices, which could be, you really could. Um, I, I noticed a number of the tables were actually looking at prices to find out like what it should be. And I think we have people from different parts of the country and world here. So there was some interesting discussions about what the prices should be. Um, so it, it really could be a great activity for the students to, the different teams, especially if they were trying to market and decide what to sell in their grocery store. So you could do all sorts of different levels. Yeah, Ah, yeah, cut our first. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and I think, just like you said, that, that discussion that you can have afterwards with your participants about the marketing, about the impulse buy, about the kids. Um, yeah, what, anything, other observations? I can tell you I'm getting a little tired. This is interesting. It's a long session, but we're getting up and doing stuff. I feel like I should make everybody get up and do a physical activity, but that's okay. Um, That's what I was just, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's a, it's a great learning, you know, discussion. I think that, you, yeah, I love the idea also of that you could do afterwards a real, you know, like a, a just besides our quick, you know, discussion over why you put what, but actually a comparison and do some more analysis over, you know, the nutrient, nutritional value of the different choices. Um, you could set it up if you, if I, I tend, don't be shocked, I tend to lean toward chaos. You actually don't want me to be around a bunch of kids. <laughs> we have a lot of fun, but it's really a lot of energy. Because um, you could do it where you have, like, two different shoppers, because if you got a lot, if you got 30, you know, kids and you, everybody gets a different role, um, and then you could have two different teams shopping, and I mean, you think, you just, and as Carl was, I just admitted to her a minute ago, I probably shouldn't admit these things professionally, um, but uh, yeah, so these were ideas I had. I've never done this game. I've done lots of other types of games. <laughs> Um, but so I thank you. So I was like, I hope this works because it's it, it, so. So don't be afraid to try it. Probably not, you know, like at a national, international conference. Um, but um, you know, try it. Think of things that might work. Yeah. Oh yeah, unit price lesson. Yeah, because that, that milk. Yeah, that's a great opportunity to talk about the. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think with more thought than I gave, sorry, and it's not that I didn't care, but I think that there's so many, this is the fun part about co-discovery, right, and co-learning and, and building it together, is that I do think it could be great with the Nutrition 101 or 100, you know, or whatever your basic. You could build a really neat kind of lesson plan out of it, um, and then, and then, who knows, maybe you do it on the, the we have Ped Walkway. I don't, I'm not sure what your open spaces are, but you could have people like go through your shopping, you know, and have something on the other side, and then have some sort of education material to take with them, you know, about their experience. There's, um, although I don't know how, how, how are you guys doing with handouts? See, I'm not sure if people still look at handouts. It's more of a QR code they'd scan, probably, to be eco-friendly. But so those are things you could think about, you know, building in lots of different environments. Yeah? Okay. Um, so, one of the things that I think, I, well, with some with evidence and with experience, that theater, what theater can play a role in if we incorporate nutrition education, is um, behavior change. So we know that uh, we're going to do a little behavior theory, not a lot here at all, um, but. If we're talking about behavior change, because we're nutrition education and behavior change, right? That's that's what we do um, in our organization. So if we if we go way back, 1935 was one of the first theories about behavior came up, and really looking at those barriers and facilitators. So running through some of our common, this is not 1935. Anybody recognize this? Is, we've jumped ahead 60, 30. Wait, that's math. We jumped ahead a lot. Okay, to help with myself. <laughs> Um, so if we're thinking, and I, and I, this is all from Glanz's book, I have the, the but, and I, I think it's, I think this is okay to say source from Glanz, I mean, for me, behavior change, that's where, I mean, sorry, you guys may have your own personal loves of books, and I don't mean to downplay them all, this is where I go, so let's think about some of the things here that could be considered, and some of the, the activities you've seen so far, and some of the activities that you might do in the future with theater. So some of the modifiers you could add in for our game where we have party, for instance. You could add demographic characteristics to your the people who are coming in. And you can end up finding out some interesting facts about what they think. So if you, if you have one person um, assigned as an older adult coming into the party, and you have somebody else coming in as a three-year-old, um, and then the way they relate and talk about food, you get into those really neat discussions about how we feel like these kinds of modifying factors might ultimately relate um, to behaviors or why they choose what they chose. Um, same with grocery store. So, and let's actually take it back. We'll go back upstream for a second. Remember health, and I, I'm just like, everybody knows health belief model just because it's like, you know, a basic that I like. So what's the foundation of health belief model? Remember? So it's, we are, and this came out of tuberculosis, I think is where they first used it. Because they were trying, and I love how Jeff is like going back in his brain trying to think if that's correct. Um, I, I think it's one of the, did I? I think they were trying to find out why people were not participating in programs for health prevention. And, um, there, yeah, so in that same timeline, there was some. So they're, they're trying to figure out why people are not participating in health promotion programs. That's 
sad that that's still something we think about today, right? We all follow these programs. Why is nobody interested in doing this? So they came up with the idea that it depends on these factors of you know how your perception of how severe the threat is, right? Um, how susceptible you would be to that disease or that, that status, um, as well as what would be the benefits of making a behavior change, as well as what would be the barriers that would make it harder for you to make that behavior change. Um, and then, of course, um, that self-advocacy, so you're perceived, are you able to do what, you're, what you are trying to do? So how, how's your self-advocacy for that, that behavior that we're talking about? And all of those are going to um, also lead into our actual behavior, um, individual behavior. Keith's action came later and has actually been less researched. But um, so as we think about how theater, um, let's, let, me, let me go through a few more of these theories and then we'll talk about how they can all relate, okay, as you see the next one. Because the, the other thing is I want you to be thinking about these, these theories as we play our next game. So that's a challenge for you to, to think about what you're hearing and then think about it as we play our game, which I think I have 11 minutes? Well, that's not fun. Jeez. Okay, uh, trans-theoretical trans model. See, I start talking faster, which is scary when I have less time. Um, and we should do a favorite. Am I the only dork that has favorites between the different theoretical models? Yes, okay, I got a yes. They're fun, this is cool. Okay, so trans-theoretical model, remember this is the idea that we would go through these stages of change. So you go from pre-contemplation, you might even thinking about it. See, people are getting bored, Carla. They want games, not these facts. They could read these facts later. They would need to travel across the country and around the world to read these facts. Um, and it's old information. Then, then you might move into contemplation, and then you move into preparation, and then you can move into action, and then maintenance, and then people argue about termination, whether it's actually there. What do you think? Jeff is our resident expert, by the way, on this. So do you believe in termination, or do you just say with maintenance? Yeah, very little termination and dying x-rays. I agree. Okay, so as we, um, this is where I think, the one thing I want to point out, the main thing, I, since I don't have time to do all the fun stuff, um, the main thing I want to point out here is that within the trans-theoretical model, when they explain to us why it works and what we can do to move people through these stages, check out number two. They just named it after us. Dramatic relief right there. So experiencing the negative emotions, or negative or positive emotions, right? Is it just negative? Um, fear, anxiety, worry that go along with an unhealthy behavior. Of course, you can turn that to a positive too. But it, the dramatic relief is enough to move somebody forward toward behavior change. Now here's where I think this is imp an important thought. So often in our lives, those cues to action, the, the, the things that move us along and, and, and it, it get to our emotions to where we're willing to make change, or we have a loved one who gets sick, right? We have a loved one who has type 2 diabetes and has complications, or has heart disease and, and has a heart attack, or we get diagnosed with something, you know, and then, and then we're like, oh, we need to make a change. That's a hard way to, to learn a lesson that moves us forward. 
We don't want somebody to have to actually experience that, to live through that before there's a change. Theater gives you a way to experience that change without actually having it happen. It gives you a way to not on the fun stuff that we're doing here, although I, I always start with the fun stuff, but um, it gives you a way to think about what happens if I don't make these changes. I'm going to go way old school here. Since I don't have time to play my other game, I have time to tell you. When I started with my, uh, my doctoral work, and, and Dr. Haldeman is someplace around here. She's amazing. But she, I walked in and I said, I wanted to do this. And she said, OK. Um, we use theater as a nutrition education strategy with newly arrived Latino youth. The way I started with that is we started with telling stories, getting on our feet, playing these kind of games, just getting kids playing, getting comfortable talking together, communicating together. Um, they got to tell stories, children's stories, and they got to, I had boxes of like, you know, things to put on and hats and, you know, they would tell, you know, three little bears, I don't know, you know, that's not what we did, but they would tell children's stories. And they got used to telling stories, this is a summer camp, and then we sat down with one page about diabetes, just information. Now, at the beginning of this, these kids had said, when we did assessments, because this is research, right, they said that the traditional diet, and for these kids that were primarily 98% from Mexico, they said traditional diet was beans and fruits and vegetables, and they said the American diet was hot dogs, hamburgers, french fries, and pizza. And when we asked them at the beginning, and this was a while ago, so this is dated. Don't take this, I mean, this acculturation is so complex, and this was, a, this, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little old, gray hair hurts. Um, they said that the American diet was healthier. So these kids talk about nutrition education opportunity. These kids believe the American diet of hot dogs, hamburgers, french fries, pizza was healthier than the fruits and the vegetables and the beans. So the one page on diabetes, then they sat around because they'd learned they'd learned those skills. And they told they made a story, they wrote a story, and they got to put together a play about diabetes. And it was a gorgeous story about two kids who who came over to the United States and and they, they really shared some really amazing things about their trip over, um, insights and their first experiences in the cafeteria and being exposed to hot dogs and hamburgers. Um, and one child, I have to drink water again. It's, what can we say? I never used to do this. I know, I'm dehydrated. Um, my worst habit. So one child, they, they, had a, they chose to have a nutritionist come into their school. Isn't that fun? I was like, yay, they like me. Um, and the, the nutritionist came in and told them about how healthy the, the beans and the, the, the um, the vegetables and the traditional meals. And, and one child listened to this nutritionist, and they went home, and they learned how to cook all these foods with their, their parents. These kids are the ones writing the story. And the other child didn't listen. And then they told, this, they told the story of them growing up, and the other child that didn't listen um, got diabetes and then didn't believe the doctor when the doctor said they had diabetes. And then um, they, that child 
uh, wouldn't play with their child when they had a child, all sorts of interesting things. They sat, sat and watched TV and they wouldn't go outside and play ball. And whereas the other child was helping, you know, carrying groceries and then was, you know, just had a, a different kind of approach to life. Now, and again, time does a lot for us because the, the, at the end of the story, they had the child that had diabetes in the hospital getting an, a leg amputated. I know, right? And so now, if I did this again, would I let them take it? I don't, I don't think I'd go there. You know, it's interesting what we do as we age. And I've also talked to people with, more with type 1 diabetes, and they're like, fear is not, I mean, we don't want our kids to be afraid. So I tell this story, but it's kind of cool to tell the story this much later and learn from the, my own, you know, we have all these good intentions. We have these great intentions with theater. But it can have bad consequences too, maybe. You know, we want to be careful. But it was the, their story. I didn't, I didn't tell, I mean, I, they, they were 100% in charge of the story. Although the only thing is they wanted a saw in the hospital to cut off a leg. That, that was my own place where, I, yeah, I was like, no, we can't, we can't. Um, so the, the other, and, they, and it, was, they, they, it was great. They did very soap opera-ish because the other child came in to visit. They're, they're now an adult. And, and they had their child with them. And their child was like, let's go by and get you know, a, a hamburger on the way home. And the, the person from the bed very dramatically says, no, wait. I wish I had listened to my parents. You know, and, and so, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a beautiful story. And afterwards, um, we saw behavior change. You know, the kids were, were eating with their, they were, they were cooking and eating with their parents. And they, they felt there was one child, this, this one will stay with me forever, and then I think we're about done, right? Um, there was one child who didn't uh, change, and that child said um, at the end, in the interviews, we did so, you know, surveys and then followed up with qualitative research interviews, and said that no, that's the way Americans do it, and Americans know what's best. And so that child still believed that the hamburgers, hot dogs, french fries, and pizza were healthier. But the other group, you know. Anyway, so hopefully you've gone from fun, and you can see it's about communication and getting on our feet and doing all sorts of things. And it's something that everybody in this room can do. You can incorporate it into to whatever work you do. Um, and it can also, you can take it to the next level if you want to get more involved and actually create a piece of theater for the, you know, with your audience. Um, that tell their story, you know, let them tell their story, their words, their life. Um, it's a, it can be a very powerful tool. Okay, I've got like, what, uh, seven minutes? i got two minutes. I, this is my phone watch. It should be right. Oh, 245. <laughs> Math. Um, so you have two minutes to ask me questions, and I'll stay around afterwards. But I hope you guys, did y'all have fun? Yeah, okay. Um, so I, I will be here for questions, and I will, I will let y'all go for... With I say, I'll just add one thing. So when I did teach metabolism and did uh -huh. the creative stuff with the students, so those of you who are faculty in here, yeah. you know, I was looking at some of the research around that. The main tenet of my teaching philosophy was around creativity because it also builds critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. You think about the metabolism of our micronutrients and our students having to translate that science into some kind of creative project. It makes them learn it, and mm -hmm. it, you really have to dissect it, and, they, and then they remember it. We had raps, and we had amazing movies and kids' books, and it was uh, such a fun project. The kids loved it, and so it's critical thinking skills as well. Yeah. Build the creativity. You guys are wonderful. Thank you. I had fun with you guys. I really did. And I'm right here if you have any questions. We'll do it this way. Bye, guys.
check one two sound check one two
I guess it's, oh, it's on, okay. Hi everyone, um, welcome to Oral Abstract's presentation two on exploring research on food security, health outcomes, and access to healthy food. My name is Pam Cook and I'm the moderator, which really just means I'm the timekeeper. And what we will be doing is going in the order that's on the program and each presenter will have 15 minutes so they'll do their presentation and then we'll take questions for the time that is left. And I'm not gonna do any introductions because you can find information on all of the presenters and the titles in the program. So I'm going to turn it over to Maggie, our first presenter. Thank you. Hi everyone, thank you for coming today, appreciate it. So I'm Maggie Wilkin, I'm the Director of Research and Evaluation at Public Health Institute's Center for Wellness and Nutrition. I have about 20 years of experience doing um, evaluation and SNAPED and other food and nutrition programs, as well as other community-based interventions. So today I wanna talk to you about one of our projects, um, the Healthy Food RX project, um, and show some of the results um, in health outcomes for people with diabetes that participated in this home-delivered food as medicine program. So I wanna start with a few acknowledgements because I'm the only one here, but this project took a lot of <laughs> effort from a, multiple people. It's funded by the Abbott Fund, which is the foundation of the global healthcare company Abbott as part of their Future Well Communities Initiative, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, this project was located in Stockton, California. Project management was conducted by Betty Sun of PHI Center for Wellness and Nutrition. And also special thanks to our community partners, Community Medical Centers, which is an FQHC that did recruitment and data collection. And then the Emergency Food Bank prepped the food boxes, cooking demos, and coordinated home delivery of the food boxes. I'll tell you a little bit about our center. We um, partner with states and other funders to do trainings, um, implementation and evaluation of food and nutrition programs primarily. Um, so, and a lot of SNAPED stuff, so I know a lot of people here are SNAPED. So first, why Stockton? Um, Stockton is one of the most uh, multi multicultural and ethnically diverse cities in the US. Um, the population is about 15% Asian, 41% um, Lat Latino or Lat Latina, and then about less than a third of white population. Um, and minority populations have higher prevalence of diabetes and higher risk of complications from diabetes than their white counterparts. So you can see on the map here, San Joaquin County, which is where Stockton is located, has one of the highest prevalences of diabetes in California. Um, at 17% of the population is diagnosed. Uh, top eight of the 14 priority census tracts in San Joaquin County are in Stockton, where nearly 60% of the residents have or are at risk for diabetes. Um, obesity rates and diabetes prevalence are 20% higher than the state of California overall, with higher rates seen in communities of color. San Joaquin County has the 14th high of highest death rate from diabetes in California, so that's why um, Stockton was a great place for this project to take place. So let me talk a little bit more about the project. As I said, this is um, part of a larger initiative for future well communities that is funded by Abbott Fund. As you can see here, there's a variety of partnerships that work together um, to address mo multiple social determinants of health in people diagnosed with diabetes living in Stockton. So some of the other services that are provided, you can see on here, you can see where Healthy Food Rx is, is just one part. There's um, transportation to appointments, there's training of social work students in diabetes care, one-on-one um, -on -one coordination, community health workers providing health coaching. There's a multitude of things going on. So it's really a community 
partnership coalition that's working together to address these issues in this community. Um, so a little bit about the Healthy Food Rx, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, but it is a healthy meal de delivery box that's delivered every other week for up to 12 months for patients of a, this FQHC, Community Medical Centers. The, we had a partnership with DoorDash that delivered these boxes. Actually, EFB had the partnership with DoorDash to have these boxes delivered to the home, which is reducing one of the major barriers to participation in programs like these, which is transportation. Um, and there's a couple pictures of the boxes on the next slide I'll show you. It's, it's more than just produce. It's a healthy meal kit, and it's enough for a family. So, and it's also some pantry staples like rice and beans. Um, this study re examined the relationship between the people who are receiving these food boxes and their diabetes health-related outcomes, such as A1C, fruit and vegetable consumption, food security, and then some of the diabetes self-management tasks. And I'll talk a little bit more about those in a minute when I get into the um, methods. Okay, so here's a couple of pictures of the um, boxes. So with the boxes, um, the participants got a recipe and a link to a cooking demonstration for the recipes. Um, the Mediterranean turkey skillet recipe box, you can see on the top, and the bottom one was Japanese katsu and eggplant recipe box. And we did a feedback survey, which I'll show some results for in a, in a few minutes, but the boxes were really well received and participants really liked them. So the inclusion criteria for the study was to be, or for the actual, the program, over the age of 18, diagnosed with diabetes, under the care of a community medical center's physician, they had current hemoglobin A1C blood work on file, and they live in Stockton, California. The intervention, um, as I said, they were enroll, or they, they were home-delivered food boxes. So it's about a $40 value every other week, um, with ingredients for a meal and pantry staples, with the recipe cards and the cooking demos. They were enrolled via telephone by a trained interviewer, um, and then this program included two phases. So there was the first six months, and then we had funding to do another six months. So we uh, reassessed eligibility criteria after the first six months and re-enrolled. This presentation only has the results from the first phase of the study. We're still working on phase two results. So data collection, the A1C data, um, and A1C is actually a measure of blood glucose control over the past couple of months, if you're not familiar with that. The target A1C is less than 7%. That has been associated with reduction in risks of multiple complications, such as heart disease and um, neuropathic complications. Um, and those were taken from the electronic health records for those who gave HIPAA consent. We had a window, it's not included on here, but there was a window of where they could have been measured related to the first survey for them to be considered valid to be included. All the other variables were collected via surveys that were conducted over the phone by trained interviewers, either in English or Spanish. Um, you'll see later the majority of our population is, are Spanish speakers. Um, we collected data. The baseline was in 2021. Then we did the six-month, and then the 12-month phase started in August of 2022 and ended in January 2023. So we're looking at that data now. And I mentioned these um, measures earlier. Okay, so this is kind of a description of the sample here. You can see um, over half were female, almost 80% were Hispanic or Latino of any race, 70% um, preferred Spanish, and over two-thirds were 50, age 50 or over. So this is the 319. These were, there were 319. Actually, I, I don't think I talked about that a little bit. Let me go back. There were 319 matched surveys for pre and post at six months, and we had 119 
um, people that had A1C data that was appropriate and valid to be included in the study. The reason for less A1C data is people sometimes don't have the resources to go get it or their insurance won't pay for the lab work to be done, so they might not have been included in, the, in that cohort. So we analyzed the survey data and the A1C data separately. I did do some modeling with them together, but the sample sizes were fairly low. So. Okay, we did that. So here are our initial findings, or this is the six-month findings. As you can see, and I don't know how, okay, you can see it pretty good up there. Um, for the hemoglobin A1C, which is a, a, it's an important measure to have to see how people are doing with their diabetes, but um, it's, it's hard to get in a community-based intervention. So um, we were really lucky that we had this relationship with community medical centers to be able to get this information because a lot of the studies that you see on Buddhist medicine projects don't have that information just because it is really hard to gather. Because people a lot of times don't know what their A1Cs are or when it was collected. Um, we have done some self-reported A1Cs as well, but there is a lot of missing data as you might imagine. So you can see the blue line is those that were had diabetes that were outside of their target range at baseline, which is um, greater than 7%. And for those, it was actually a statistically significant decrease of 0.5%. Um, and actually, for the 12-month data, we're seeing it's going down even further, which is a great. Um, and then for those that were within target range, it kind of stayed pretty close to the same. Fruit and vegetable consumption, I know these lines don't look like a big jump, but they were both were statistically significant. Increase in fruit and vegetable consumption and a significant decrease in food insecurity. So we measured food insecurity with the ERS, um, two questions from the ERS scale that has been used as a screener from other, um, I gotta see where, okay, um, from other organizations like Share of Strength, they use this two question as the, I think it's Share of Strength. Um, so if they answered sometimes are often true to either we worried whether our food would run out before we got money to buy more or the food that we bought di just didn't last and we didn't have money to get more. If they answered um, yes to either of those, or sometimes are often to either of those, then they were considered food insecure. As you can see, two-thirds of our population was food insecure at baseline, um, and that went down to just over half, which is still pretty high, but it was a significant decrease. And, I mean, you could say, oh, you're giving them food boxes, so of course they're going to have more food, but it's only one box every two weeks, two boxes a month. It really shouldn't be enough to, to really cause that decrease in food insecurity. So something else with the program, as I said, it's a coordination of um, services that they're receiving, not just the food. So hopefully some of the other things that were going on, which we are measuring separately, could be contributing to that. So these were for statistical people. These are bivariate paired analyses. Um, paired t-tests for continuous data and McNamara's test for categorical data. I did do some modeling, as I said. They, we did not see any significant differences based on demographic characteristics in these outcomes. However, as you saw previously, there wasn't a lot of diversity in this sample. So um, we are doing follow-up studies in other communities where we do expect to have more diversity. So hopefully we can see differential um, effects on different populations if that is the case. And this is just the, um, the results from the, the diabetes self-management tasks. Almost everyone is taking their medication as prescribed, which is great. Um, and then people that were following their diabetes meal plan increased from 57% to 78%, so that was a significant increase. And those that were talking to people about their diabetes and healthy living went way up. So those were the two significant increases that we saw in diabetes self-management after six months on the program. 
I just want to talk a little bit about the feedback survey because we, we were really happy to get the um, you know information from the participants to see how they thought about the boxes. We had some you know um, assumptions about how people felt about them and some of them we had were wrong. So um, this feedback survey was actually sent to the participants with their last food box after this phase two 12 month food box. So um, we got 275 surveys or we sent out 275 surveys. We got 96 respondents via mail, text, or online. I will say almost all of them were mail. 100% um, of them liked the boxes. And they had no incentive to send this back. They just really wanted to tell us how they felt about this. They didn't get an incentive for doing that. 98% used all or most of the food. 79% shared the food with others, which was the intention of these food boxes. And 72% made the featured recipe included with the box. I will say that's where we were wrong because we thought that um, they were just going to use the ingredients. Maybe they were just using them for other things and not following the recipe. 72% made the actual recipe and then another like 20% um, adjusted the recipe a little bit. But mo almost all of them use a recipe in some way, which was a really interesting finding for us and we, we were a little bit surprised. So here are some quotes you can see. I don't need to read all of them, but um, just about how I, I like the one that says the program has helped my grandma in many ways, one would be her eating less, more healthy and craving less sweets. So a lot of people had a lot of positive things to say about the food boxes, so that was great. I know I'm running out of time. So conclusions. So these results show that a low-touch, tailored community-based program delivering healthy meals and staple food items twice a month without the requirement of health education. I mean, that was an important piece. It was optional, so it allowed us to serve more people. Um, this has the potential to improve health outcomes, food security, healthy eating among populations most in need, like in Stockton. Um, again, health education was offered indirectly through recipe cards, recorded videos. This started in the COVID era, so that was important. Um, and in information about diabetes management classes that participants could opt into. The providing everything directly to their home was a real um, plus because it removes some of the common barriers like access to food retailers, transportation to get benefits, and enabled them to choose the health education tools that were most useful. Obviously, we had a few limitations. It wasn't the most diverse, um, including those, we included those with A1Cs in and out of target range, so we didn't see as big of a change. A lot of the studies that I've looked at only include people that have diabetes that is out of the target range. Um, and then our A1C data was limited, which is a, a problem that is still, <laughs> don't know how to solve. Okay, next steps. Um, we are working on a community health worker model, so we have done training with community health workers at another um, local organization. So participants are being offered health coaching along with Healthy Food Rx. This is ongoing, actually we're almost done with data collection. Um, so there's about 181 participants in that study. We also are working on, right now, recruiting for the Community Referral Healthy Food Rx. So this is gonna um, reach up to 800 participants. So we're hoping to have about 1,000 participants in this next year or so. Um, Stockton residents with diabetes for this one can self-refer, be referred from multiple partner agencies. So this can allow for people who don't have clinic access to participate in this program. So we're still working on the publication of the results from the phase one and two. And as I said, the, these other two are in progress. Okay. <laughs> I guess through. No time? Okay. Well, I don't have time for questions. Maybe at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
And thank you. What a fabulous program for really addressing the needs of a community that's so clear of the structural inequities that are causing these high disease, disease risks. So next we have Fatima. And it's her first time presenting. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Fatima Tobar, and I am from the University of Rhode Island. And today I'm presenting on our latest project, the development of a SNAP-Ed social marketing campaign rooted in cultural inclusion. For today's agenda, I will be touching upon some background information leading to our study's objective with a broad overview of methods utilized and for the purpose of today's time, a broad picture of results leading into our plans for future directions and final conclusion. Recent data from the Rhode Island Life Index demonstrates that communities of color are far more likely to experience food insecurity in comparison to white households. These disparities are a reflection of the adverse impacts of COVID-19 on the health and well-being of communities of color, as well as long-standing economic barriers in the state of Rhode Island. With food costs rising up to 13% in comparison to the previous years, low-income families are struggling to meet basic household necessities, including access to healthy foods. There are more Rhode Islanders now seeking and relying on food assistance programs and services than ever before. It was also reported that 40, more than 40% of households with children ran out of food and could not buy more food for their household, placing their children at risk for hunger. Now, this inability of Rhode Islanders being able to meet their basic needs has serious consequences, as we know that poor nutrition severely affects and impacts overall quality of life. Now, considering this is the first time our agency decides to take on a project of this magnitude, we decided to target the town of Central Falls, which you can see highlighted on the map there. Now, we decided to choose this town based on the convenient geographic size for implementation and for very strong pre-existing partnerships and connections that we had in the community. This is a predominantly Spanish-speaking population where food insecurity is most acute. Now, social marketing can be a powerful tool to drive behavior change and promoting health-related messages. Seeking to address these health disparities and inequities in our state, we saw the opportunity to develop a multi-channel campaign that will address the direct needs and interests of the communities that we serve. This leads to our study's objective, 
which was to develop and test nutrition-related messages designed for diverse communities in efforts to increase culturally relevant fruit and vegetable consumption all within a limited budget. Now here on the screen, I'll talk a little bit about different data point collections that we used as demonstrated by the timeline, which include key informant interviews with community leaders who serve our target audience, surveys and focus groups with SNAP-Ed eligible adults, and A-B testing with SNAP-Ed eligible adults, which means the comparison of two different variables to assess which resonates with our community the most. We had a total of nine key informant interviews that took place with the intention to learn how to best reach and engage our community members. 33% of the community partners that we interviewed offer some form of nutrition education. And 78% of community partners interviewed provide some form of food assistance services and programs. Next, we had a total of 75 SNAP-Ed eligible adults participate in a bilingual survey, either in person or online. The survey consisted of 12 questions aimed to gather insights on how adults are seeking information about food and healthy eating. The survey also explored topics of interest, frequency of seeking such information, important factors to consider as folks navigate this kind of information, and lastly, any barriers that they're overcoming as they're looking for this kind of information. We also decided to probe about social media habits and what cultures they relate to the most in order to make sure that we were being inclusive of all backgrounds. 70% of the surveys that took place were from participants who live in what we call core city zip codes, meaning communities that have the most prevalent food insecurity. Now, considering that the word healthy is going to be an integral part of our campaign, it was important for us to ask the community, what does being healthy mean to you? recognizing that everybody has a wide range of definitions and perspectives when they hear this word. We tested six different community sites where SNAP-Ed programming is administered and delivered. We asked in Spanish and in English in order to narrow down specific messages and words in relation to food and nutrition. Next, our research team crafted two bilingual slogans and taglines to promote the SNAP-Ed program, which was then A-B tested in the community of Central Falls, where we engaged with a total of 81 participants. They were asked questions regarding how our messages made them feel, what they thought the main message was, and which one resonated the most with them. We also made sure to record quotes and anecdotal feedback in order to provide additional context for their choices. 
in summary, these efforts together are what we used to narrow down and frame the campaign that we then launched into the community. Now on the screen you see a broad overview of our outline of how results were collected, aggregated, and then analyzed in order to shape what's taking place in 2023 right now, which includes reinvigorating our agency logo, so it's a lot brighter now as you can tell from the screen, more community friendly. We also narrowed down some key nutrition messages. We created content and visual concepts that actually feature residents from the town of Central Falls so that they would feel acknowledged and represented when they would see these materials in the community. And lastly, we are successfully launching at different community sites across the town as well. So here we have a local corner store featuring our materials. Now, by collaborating with these key informant interviews, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about the common barriers that community partners are facing in reaching SNAP-Ed audiences. But we also learned about some diligent efforts in order to overcome these obstacles. It was cited by our community partners that social media usage is the most preferred form of communication for both community residents and community partners alike. Now these results indicate that social media as a multiple mode of communication is needed to maximize our reach of messages. Our adult survey results demonstrated that Adults find information on food and or healthy eating predominantly through social media platforms followed by friends and family. They also shared that they're looking for this kind of information up to several times a week. Now these results are similar to the previous slide, once again reinforcing the importance of social media as the most emergent way to disseminate pertinent information. Aside from mode and frequency of finding information about food and healthy eating, adults also reported wanting information that was quick and easy to read, but also information that they could relate to. When asked what kind of information they were looking for, they mentioned a lot of different topics, but the most prominent were resources on finding information on planning healthy meals, how foods impact our health, fruits and vegetables, and access to healthy recipes in general. In summary, all of our findings are what we used to then push our campaign messages along and narrow down our short and curated messages. In conclusion, social marketing is an audience-centered approach that features multiple reinforcing channels of communication emphasizing the importance of community involvement in message development and delivery strategies. The culmination of all these community-led efforts helped inform our culturally inclusive bilingual campaign that prioritizes topics that community members are really looking for in real time, such as fruits and vegetables and food resource management. Now we are currently well into the launch of our campaign materials as you saw earlier, but in conjunction with direct education, 
Our future plans include evaluation on assessing impact of behavior change and to see how effective our social marketing messages actually were in reaching our intended audience. Now this will hopefully um, show us any potential barriers and strategize efforts to hopefully expand into other cities across the state. So here we have our stars of our promotional materials, how we decided to communicate with other stakeholders, and other efforts to engage during data collection. Now I'd like to take some time to acknowledge our Rhode Island SNAPED team as we broke into this new territory with no previous marketing experience and really saw this project come to life but also the community residents of Central Falls, whose voices we want to continue to uplift and emphasize as the center of community-led interventions. Here are a couple of other photos from the process of data collection, including our photo shoots with real residents from Central Falls who are featured across the city. And I would also now like to open up the floor for any questions or comments as we've reached the end of today's presentation. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Do we have a really quick clarifying question? What a great, what you guys did a fabulous job working with the community. A very excellent model for doing that. Okay, if there's no questions, yes, we'll have the third presentation come up. And so next is Catherine. Hi everyone, my name is Kate Garrity and I am presenting a qualitative study today titled The Influence of the COVID-19 Pandemic on Household Food Sourcing and Food Security in Rural Appalachia. And I'll take a quick second to also thank all of the co-authors listed up on the screen. So as we are all aware, the COVID-19 pandemic and its related economic impacts presented numerous challenges for all households across the socioeconomic spectrum. Um, we saw things and experienced things like job changes and job loss, changes in household structure, composition, and dynamics, such as college-aged kids moving home, consolidating households, and school-aged kids being at home during the day for school. We, of course, also saw changes in health and health-related behaviors. And then lastly, changes in food-related behaviors. So how often we went to the grocery store, which grocery stores we went to, or if we were even able to go to a grocery store. And various studies explored this, right? Explored the unique circumstances that were impacting households in regard to food insecurity in particular. One such study, published by Loth et al. just this year, found that families experiencing food insecurity more frequently discussed using various coping strategies, such as stocking up, rationing food, and use of supplemental food resources to really overcome those challenges presented by the pandemic. But what we're seeing is that rural communities are underrepresented among this literature. So to that end, 
the objective of our research study is to understand how the constellation of pandemic-related shocks influenced households' food sourcing strategies and food security dynamics in rural Appalachia, Ohio. So this study was actually part of a larger study, a, a mixed methods study. Um, we actually also, because of the pandemic, had to pivot and recruit differently than we had originally planned. So we sent out postcards to all residential addresses in Athens County region of Appalachia, Ohio, which I just highlighted with an arrow there on the Ohio map. One adult per household completed an initial diet, health, and food security survey and there was quarterly follow-up for one year. So we had data from four different time points. From this, we purposefully selected a subsample of respondents representing diverse food security trajectories, which I'll discuss more in a moment. And they were invited for in-depth, semi-structured interviews. And we completed 16 of these interviews between May and June of 2021 that lasted just over an hour. So here is that postcard that was sent out to 18 different zip codes. You'll see on the top, we say, hi, neighbor, could we ask a favor? And then we also included the logos of our community partners down in the region, just so they had some familiarity with who was involved in this study. And then on the back was where we listed most of the information they needed to know, um, an incentive, how it could help the community, and then also how they got started with the study. So they could either scan a QR code or reach out to us by phone or email to get that survey. And we actually study, uh, excuse me, published a manuscript talking about this sort of pivot from being there and recruiting in person, which we had planned, to then having to recruit by mail. So that is listed at the bottom here, if you're interested. All right, so to talk a little bit about our sample characteristics, as I mentioned, um, we recruited a subset of um, respondents that some were experiencing food insecurity and some weren't. So we had seven that were consistently reporting that they were food secure. So during that year of the study, no one reported um, you know, issues with having enough food to meet their or their family's needs. And then we had four uh, participants that reported persistent food insecurity, where all four time points of the survey, they reported being food insecure. And then we had five that reported episodic food insecurity, where at maybe one point or two points they reported being food insecure, where the others they reported being food secure. The sample was primary white, employed, married, middle-aged women who had at least one year of college education. And we conducted iterative rounds of general inductive coding using in vivo, and I will go through our steps here of our qualitative analysis. So this first step was actually the only step where we included all 11 authors. And we got together on Zoom and used Google Jamboard to, um, after, after each author had uh, read a transcript, and what we had them do was note down these reoccurring um, information that we saw throughout that transcript. And then everyone used sticky notes on Google Jamboard and put up what they were seeing. And then we really looked at the overlap and to see how someone may have called something, you know, one term, how could we combine those. And from that, we came up with our initial code book. And then a subset of authors, there were five of us, that actually applied that initial code book to a transcript and then met to discuss what were we seeing, what, where did we need to tweak, that's where we then applied the next edited codebook, Codebook 2.0, and then we did that again. We discussed what needs to be changed, how can we, um, you know, uh, make the codebook a little tighter, and then we applied that and met one more time to discuss, and we figured 
you know, we had made a good code book, so we applied it to all transcripts. And from there, we've discussed key themes. So here, we'll get into our results. These are our five key themes. I'm not going to leave these up here super long because I'm going to get into each one. Um, the first one is intersecting food security influences. So we found that federal food assistance and other pandemic era resources influenced food security, but also housing stability and the ability for families to meet their other basic needs. And we have a quote here to, to show that. When that hit, so we had no money. Luckily, we had SNAP for the food, so I thought, well, we won't starve and we won't get kicked out of our house. And to give a little context to that, this uh, participant was discussing how their landlord had uh, given them three months of a sort of leeway on paying their rent. So she said, you know, this helped, but thankfully we also had SNAP. We were able to, you know, continue to live in our house, but also meet our, our food needs because of that. And then our next theme is household food work exacerbated. And actually, food work's a new term to me, so I'll talk a little bit about it. It's essentially all of the work that goes into food, right? So you're making your grocery list, you're thinking about what meals you're making, you're going to the grocery store, you're then putting the groceries away or prepping them maybe, packing lunches, just everything related to food. And this often gendered task of navigating these food resources, we found was being reported as much more difficult in the context of the pandemic. And one quote we have to, to show this is, it would be more of like, oh, I have, if I had a list, I'd be like, Karen, you need to have a list and you need to go by this list, as compared to if I go to the store and I don't have a list at all. And what she was really talking about was that stress of, if I don't take the time to prepare, then I may go to the grocery store and spend more than I can spend or not be prepared. And it was kind of just that like cognitive stress that we, I'm sure, you know, all kind of experienced to one, one extent or another, um, and, sh and she was talking about that. And then we have uh, novel food sourcing strategies. So we found that households leverage new and creative strategies for meeting their food's needs during this challenging period of the pandemic. And this one particular participant, um, they got chickens. They say, that's why I got them, but we bought them as chicks, and they're only about two months old. And so they're not going to lay until they're about four months old. And this was the way that they kind of thought, okay, what can we do? We have land. We're in a rural area. Getting to the grocery store is harder. We have room for chicks. So that's what they did. Theme four is existing food sourcing influences. And we found that households were already driven by cultural values in the area, um, such as frugality and self-sufficiency, and they continue to lean into these food sourcing practices, especially during the pandemic. We have a quote here. It says, we live off-grid, off-water grid. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of been, we're not preppers, but the move towards self-reliance has been a theme for years and years, even before this. And this particular participant lived in a really rural area of that county and had sort of an alliance with different neighbors where each one was working on a specific need, making sure that water was going to be available. Some folks had a big garden. So that was really interesting to hear about. And our last theme is silver linings. We also heard that um, you know, circumstances throughout the pandemic also encouraged behaviors that were healthier. This woman said, I will say that during COVID, I've been getting out a little more, so I tend to go on walks, and we've been exercising a bit more. So here again are our five key themes, just to show once more before I move into conclusions. 
So this study really highlights the role of existing values and coping me mechanisms in equipping households for unexpected shocks to resources and routines. It also reveals how rural households demonstrated resiliency and experienced positive outcomes despite the disruptive nature of this period. And that is all. I will take questions if we have time. Okay. <laughs> That's a great question. Let me check that out. Do you know? Tw 25 or 20. Well, I can look. <laughs> it was a $25 Kroger gift card that they were each given for um, the survey, but I believe that they received an additional incentive for the actual interviews, which is the qualitative portion reported on. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what that is. I will find out, though. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. And I actually loved the novel food sourcing like that. I hopefully some of that stuff is sticking. So we are now on to our last presenter, who is Stephanie. I'm Stephanie Silvera. I'm a professor of public health at Montclair State University. I am also now the acting associate dean of our 21-day, oh, sorry, I'm usually loud, 21-day-old new college for community health. Um, I know, it's exciting. It's brand new, and I love that it's the college for community health. There was a lot of thought behind that. Um, so today I'm going to pre be presenting on some work that I um, began with a colleague of mine, um, which is looking at understanding food access among child care workers. Um, this work really came out of the two of us discussing uh, our experiences with our own children in the child care centers where they were and the fact that more often than not they would ask us, oh where did you get this particular type of food? The kids really liked it, it seemed healthy, I would like to get it for my child. And when we would tell them, the response wouldn't be, oh I'll go get it, it was oh, could you go get it for me? I don't feel comfortable going into that store. And it got us thinking about perceptions of access, the idea that resources can exist in communities, but if they are not perceived as being welcoming spaces, people will not utilize them. And there's a whole field within architecture around this sort of perception of threshold bias and how it influences how people live and act, whether it's in terms of health care and seeking out health care or where people do their grocery shopping. And one of the reasons why we believe this matters is that child care workers are often tasked with both modeling and teaching healthy behaviors and practices. Um, children often asked, or these child care centers, they're asked to be teaching about, you know, what should go into our bodies and how do we remain, we remain healthy. However, these are often very underpaid 
individuals who then struggle to feed their own families. And the current literature doesn't really take into account if childcare workers themselves have adequate access to resources. And so we wanted to provide an opportunity to these individuals to have a voice in the process in terms of understanding what their barriers were to healthy eating practices and to really empower them to not only teach about healthy diet, but also to be able to live it in their own lives. And so we sought to explore the perceptions of their local food environments and access to healthy foods, um, using this racially diverse and socioeconomically diverse population of childcare workers in New Jersey. Um, and we used a combination of individual interviews and focus groups, and we asked them questions about where they perceived foods to be available, um, whether they experienced things like discrimination or felt like they were being discriminated against in different spaces. And so we used these semi-structured interviewed guides. Um, we had about 19 um, individuals who participated and we used open coding for all focus groups within Vivo. And we identified, I'll show you in a moment, the five key themes. Interestingly, we selected our two centers I'll be very honest, because my kids went to one and her kids went to the other one. Um, and they knew us and they were willing to participate, so that was great. But as a result of that, Child Care Center 1 was the university-based child care center. So these were children, um, infant to pre-K, they had about 50 staff. But what's very interesting is they're part of the university, we are AFT, which means they are also unionized. So they have above average wages compared to other child care workers. And these participants were mostly white and of moderate socioeconomic status. The other child care center was a community-based child care center. They have about 80 staff. Um, most of them did not have college degrees, unlike the university-based child care center. And they had lower wages than the other center. And the participants were almost exclusively African-American or Caribbean-American and came from lower SES families. So it just sort of naturally set up this dichotomy of us to be able to look at how perceptions differed in two groups. It wasn't our intention, um, but that's what we ended up with. And so just sort of a quick overview, we did a, a lovely word cloud and I thought it was very interesting that the words that came out when we asked them, what are you looking for? Were you grocery shop? It was food quality, selection, variety and convenience. So I think everybody can appreciate that. That's something we're all looking for. Um, but you also get in there the idea of cost. And there is a recognition of they want healthy foods. And I think that one of the interesting things about this population is that they do recognize what it means to eat healthy. It's whether or not they have access to it that's really a barrier. So our five key themes were money, Households and household responsibilities, with you just talked about that sort of gendered um, household responsibilities, the stores they shopped at, health, and then the one that we were hoping would come up and we weren't sure, but experiences of discrimination. And so we just pulled out a few quotes for you to see. Um, Center two in particular talked about the need to go to multiple stores to get what they needed, but also to get what they needed in a way that they could afford. And so that's the downside of doing it all in one trip, right? It's easier, but you end up spending a lot more money. Um, I love this one, right? Like, I wonder if it's just marketing. Does it have to be this expensive? And there's a theme that came up about this idea that why can't the government or somebody do more to help us? Why does the food have to be this expensive? Does it really, right? Um, 
these are individuals who have jobs that require a lot of physical energy throughout the day. I sat in in, in K-12 and, and I don't want to do that. It's, I'm exhausted at the end of the day. They are caring for very young children. It's a high stress job. And they say very often by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I just can't do it anymore. So I'll get takeout. And I know that's not healthy, but I just can't, right? Um, thinking about the actual physical space of the stores, there are certain stores, they were talking about some of these big box stores, right? The Costco and the BJ's where you can get more food for less money, but they're overwhelming. The aisles are too big. I can't find what I need. It's hit or miss. Um, and then I love this. I, I really wish I could just find one or two places to get all of my shopping done. And some cultural, um, culturally relevant practices came up in that some of the stores that had more affordable food might not have the culturally relevant foods. And so there's a trade-off and a balance. Um, one of the things that we didn't put on this slide is transportation. And we know that transportation is an issue in all aspects of health, including diet, because if you have to go to multiple stores and you don't have your own car, it makes it much harder to get your grocery shopping done. Health, there were a lot of comments um, that came up. Um, this idea of trust and health information, right? So we were talking yesterday, we were talking about health communication and the importance of health communication. And, you know, I don't know, they say health, organic is healthier. What does it even mean? Can I trust the label? I don't know what to do with that. And there's this perception that they needed to buy organic in order to be healthy. And so if I'm not doing that for my family, there was a sense of guilt because they couldn't afford it. So I thought that was really interesting, right? Um, buying healthier food, at some point, cost just becomes a factor. I can't do it. Um, and then there's the comment, right? Why do you think the government doesn't want to help us to be healthy? Right? They make these, they don't make adjustments. So the, um, supermarkets, they don't make a food affordable, there aren't subsidies in the ways that are meaningful to them. And then these experiences of discrimination, right? um, you know, we get certain looks, you know, what are you doing here? And this came up, and, and I'll share the story I told at the very beginning was specifically about Trader Joe's. Right? Everybody loves Trader Joe's. Um, but a lot of these participants said, oh, no, no, that's not for me. I don't go there. Can you pick up the food for me? And that's like a Whole Foods, right? They got tied together. And when we said, no, no, you can go in there. You can get some really good, healthy foods, and it's not nearly as expensive as Whole Foods. Um, they were shocked. And in one of our focus groups, this one woman was so excited to tell everybody else about Trader Joe's and her experience and how it actually wasn't that other place, which I thought was really interesting because the sort of, uh, I'm losing the word, anyway, the perception of Whole Foods in particular and then how that got spread out to other grocery stores. Um, you know, you just get a certain look sometimes, like she can't afford this, why is she here? Um, and I thought this one, you know, we come here to work every day and we have to put a big smile on our face. Um, and yet we're surrounded by racism and discrimination and I bring that and I carry that with me everywhere but it doesn't get acknowledged here. And I will say that in both of those childcare centers, um, regardless of the caregivers, the children in those centers were largely white and children of wealthy families. And so there is a perception of an inequity there. Um, the key findings from this study, and I think I have just enough time to share a little bit more with you, um, was that quality, selection, variety, and cost were identified as top priorities. I think that goes without saying for most families um, that participants perceived that healthier foods were only available at the more expensive food retailers, and so that even if it was 
healthy food available, it was perceived as being less than or not as healthy because it was for them and they weren't somehow societally worthy of those healthier foods. Um, but that they feel a responsibility to model healthy behaviors at work, even though there are barriers to doing so. Um, Childcare workers have a wide range of practices and perceptions, and we need to understand and support um, their food environments and to reduce those barriers to healthy eating. Um, again, this was very limited. There were 19 people here. Um, it was a convenience sample, so a lot of more work needed to be done. And since I do have a couple of minutes, I'm gonna share with you the work that we did next. Put it in here just in case. Um, so this year, an undergraduate came to me because she was interested in doing research to understand um, why certain people shop at certain grocery stores. And I said, great, I have the exact study I've been wanting to do and I haven't had the energy to do it. You're my girl. So she wanted to know what the perceptions were. And she had come to one of our sessions about shopping at Whole Foods in particular. And I had some funding available, so I said, great, let's do this. And so we recruited childcare workers through Head Start in New Jersey and Middlesex, Monmouth, and Passaic counties. And we asked all of these participants to complete a pre-shopping survey to sort of assess where do you typically go grocery shopping? And if we were to send you to Whole Foods, what do you think that experience would be like? Right? Do you have transportation? Have you ever stopped there before? What do you think of it? Once they completed that, we gave them a $50 gift card for Whole Foods, and we asked them to use it within two weeks, and then complete a post-survey. If they completed the post-survey, they then got a $25 Amazon gift card, which was also great because you can buy from Whole Foods on Amazon. They liked that. Um, so we asked, where do you typically do your grocery shopping and thinking about your upcoming experience? Have you shopped there before, et cetera? And then afterwards, we asked them whether or not they were satisfied with what they were able to purchase. Um, were these items typical to what they would have gotten elsewhere? And how comfortable did they feel and would they shop there again? So uh, we started off with 45 Head Start staff. They were mostly um, Hispanic, Latinx. 80, um, 18 to 45 year olds, only one identified as male, everyone else is female, so there's that gendered piece again. Um, and just over half reported an annual family income between 21 and $40,000. And if you have ever lived in New Jersey, um, that is not a lot of money for a household. <laughs> um, the um, poverty, 100% poverty rate, I believe, is $24,000 a year for a family of four. So it's incredibly low to even qualify for services. Um, there's the age distribution and the race distribution. Um, in terms of the pre-shopping survey, the most common places that they identified shopping were Walmart, Aldi, Costco, and ShopRite. And Whole Foods was the least mentioned. <laughs> Not not surprising, 61% had shopped there before. Um, and most people said, yeah, I'd feel comfortable enough getting into the store. So why not? Let's check it out. Um, afterwards, a little bit, about two-thirds said that they were satisfied with what they were able to purchase. Um, but most had to spend more than the gift card. And that ranged anywhere between 73 cents and $58. On average, they spent about $17 more. Um, and just about half, 46%, said they found it somewhat or very difficult to find what they wanted to purchase. Um, there was a small percentage that were neutral, and about 40% said, no, I found what I wanted. Um, more than half, not surprisingly, said, no, the prices were more expensive than where I usually shop. In addition to their perception, they said 
you know, they don't have the brands that I would normally buy. I think that comes up a lot with Whole Foods. Right? You get used to what you want, and if you have children, you buy the wrong brand, and all of a sudden, you know, the Cheerios taste different. Mom, I can't eat it. Um, the other thing, and we know this, that Whole Foods and even Trader Joe's, they do marketing surveys. They will only place themselves in certain neighborhoods. So this was just outside of where most of the people in the community in this community lived. And so it was a larger distance between the store and their house. So they basically went because they had a gift card and there was an incentive, but otherwise they normally wouldn't have gone there because it would have been too difficult to get to. And when we asked what would be a barrier to you shopping here again, prices. So we know that. Um, most people, when we asked them what they wanted to buy, they said they were hoping to buy fruits and vegetables. And when we asked them what they did buy, they said fruits and vegetables. So there was the perception that Whole Foods has better fruits and vegetables. And they were really excited to be able to try those organic vegetables, which they perceived as being automatically healthier. We did get a few of these comments, though. And one individual went into more detail in the open-ended question, which was, on my trip, I felt that my friend and I were being watched multiple times um, during our checkout, and there were several employees hovering, and they felt like they were basically being told to leave. They felt very unwelcome in this space. And more than one person felt that way, and more than one person said they had questions about where to find culturally relevant foods, but didn't feel comfortable asking. And so they just got what they could and left. And so I think that there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of design, but also training of store employees to be more welcoming if we want that. Um, and so, oh, look at me. in conclusion, childcare workers have complex heterogeneous histories, practices, and perceptions regarding food access embedded in their relationship with food. And understanding and supporting healthy food access can reduce nutrition disparities and strengthen their effectiveness in implementing child care center policies. A lot more work needs to be done with low-wage workers. I think we also need to work to pay thriving wages to the people who take care of the most vulnerable people in our world, which are children and our elderly, and those people tend to be the most underpaid. Thank you. I, I read that your research came out of just your practical experiences and then you were able to build on it, which is great. Um, and we're out of time, but just to share with all of you, as you were talking, Stephanie, there's an article in a concept called Food Mirages, which is about, this, about the same concept. I think Daniel Sullivan was the author of that one, if anybody wants to look it up, about how people can feel very, very uncomfortable in, in stores, and we have to really acknowledge that. So thank you to all of our presenters and all of you for being here. I loved how all the presentations tied together so nicely. Have a great rest of your conference.